Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Why Are You So Afraid? from our series, Wonderful Counselor. Today I'm in Matthew 8, if you have your Bible, and I'm just thankful today for the music today. Every song has just set up the theme that we're going to be talking about, and that is dealing with our fear. We're starting a new series called Wonderful Counselor. Say that with me. Wonderful Counselor. We're talking about how the Lord Jesus is indeed a wonderful counselor. Now, we use the word counselor in several different ways in the time that you and I live in, amen? Uh, If you've ever been in a courtroom, an attorney is known as a counselor, and so that's one meaning of the term. He's there to counsel you so that you don't say something to get yourself in trouble, amen, in front of the judge or in front of the jury. He counsels you as what to say and what not to say, amen? But more often than not, when you think of the word counselor, you think of a very different idea. I've got the, I love the picture Heather shows of the couch, right? When I was growing up, that was the picture of a counselor, right? Lie down and tell me about your mother. Amen. You remember that? That was kind of our, our understanding of what it meant to go to counseling, was to lay down on a couch in a therapist's office and to talk about what was going on in our heart and life and to have somebody help us unpack our own heart and reframe for us what was going on so that we could deal with what was happening. If you've ever been to counseling, I don't know if you have or not, but the key to being a good counselor is not in giving the best answers, but it is in asking the best questions. A good counselor knows how to ask the right questions that help you unpack your own heart and figure out what's going on. It doesn't matter if the counselor can see things clearly or not. It matters more whether they can help you see things clearly or not. Amen? Amen. That's the goal. Amen. Going to a good counselor is kind of like going to a good eye doctor. You ought to leave seeing better. (laughs) You ought to understand more of what's going on than when you came. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible today, I'm in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. And we're going to talk for the next few weeks, not about the answers of Jesus, but about the questions of Jesus. I began to look at God's Word at just the questions that Jesus often asks people. And it shouldn't surprise you that Jesus asks questions. He's a rabbi, and that is the way rabbis taught their class. It was called the rabbinical method. And the way they trained was instead of lecturing, they would ask thought-provoking questions to get the wheels turning of their pupils and their students. And often they would use those questions to guide the discussion. Jesus does this oftentimes. Remember when the rich young ruler came and said, Good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, number one, why do you call me good? And then he said, what does the scripture say? He didn't answer him except, to give him a question. Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? And he lists the commandments for him. Jesus often taught by means of questions. Some people ask a rabbi one day, why do you ask so many questions? And he said, what's wrong with a question? Today many people see a good counselor in order to be asked the good questions. Like rabbis of old, they craft good questions to help us discover the truth about our heart, to help us understand our own patterns of thinking and behaving and how it trips us up, to help us reframe our circumstances so we don't stay stuck in what will never work for us. Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 9 and 6 that one of the names of Jesus would be Wonderful Counselor. Jesus would have the ability to get people unstuck when they found themselves glued in the problems of their lives. He'd have the ability to do that. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at the questions that Jesus asked people around him to help them get prized loose from their difficulty. Let's dig into the first one today, and it's found in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. If you found it, say amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord today. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for the moments we've had in worship. 
Lord, we pray that you'd bless us as we continue to lift our heart up to you and not only speak to you in song, but hear from you in your word. Anoint me to share your word. Bless us who hear it. And may, Lord, your people be benefited by the moments together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. I love this passage. Um, Shay said the reason we had such a good service last week is because I picked this passage. She told me whenever she came out of kids' church into the sanctuary, there are three things I do not want to hear for the first year that I'm back in the sanctuary. Adam and Eve, Joseph and his brothers, and Jesus in the boat. She said, I have done those stories in every curriculum set that we've had for the last three years, and I don't want to hear them. So you preach something else, anything else but those three. And so when I came out of the study last week, I said, baby, I'm sorry, but it's Jesus in the boat this week. I'm just sorry. And she said, that's why I didn't get to preach last week. It's because, you know, the Lord didn't even want to hear it, right? (laughs) He didn't want to hear that story anymore. (sighs) It's tough living in a preacher's house sometimes, you know. I hope today we can pick some meat off the bones of an old story today, and I hope you'll walk with me through it. I have fallen in love with the story again, mainly for the question that Jesus asks. He looks at them and says, why are you so afraid? Would you say that with me? Why are you so afraid? And I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, it has been my experience as a Christian and a pastor that we are a fearful bunch We are a fearful bunch of people. We live and wrestle and struggle up against fear. Many of us almost paralyzing, crippling fear that grips us sometimes. For some of us, it's seasonal. It may come up on occasion. For some of us, it is chronic. We never seem to be free from the shadow of fear lingering over our shoulder. It always seems to be present with us. But I want to tell you, Jesus asked the good question. And the good question is, why? Why are we so afraid. I want to dig into that today in this story. Back in verse 18 it says, Jesus saw a crowd around him and he gave orders to go over to the other side. I love that. And so Jesus is the one who told them to get in this boat. Get in the boat. We're going over to the other side. In Mark's version he literally says, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus says that. Verse 24 says, they find themselves in the middle of a sudden unexpected storm. That's what I want to talk about today. Some of us are in issues and we're dealing with things we've dealt with for years and years, okay? I'm going to talk about that next Sunday, if the Lord wills. But this Sunday, I want to talk to you about how do we respond in the sudden, unexpected crises of life. How do you respond, not when you saw it coming, but when you got blindsided by life? I mean, something came right out of the dark and sucker punched you and you never saw it coming. How do we respond in those moments? There's not much that reveals our heart like an unexpected storm. Let's say that again. There's not much else that can reveal the truth about our heart like an unexpected storm can. There's something about a sudden trial that brings us up. The test doesn't put anything in us. The test just reveals what's already in us. Amen? Uh, it amazes me how many students don't ever get that, right? They're praying five minutes before the test. Hmm. Honey, you should have prayed a long time before that, and you should have done more than prayed, right? Uh, Because the test doesn't put anything in you. It just reveals what is in you, or in many cases, what isn't in you, right? Anybody ever had a test that showed how much you didn't know? (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Uh, Here it is, and the disciples are about to be thrust into a test, and they're going to be, it's going to be revealed what they know and what they don't know about the Lord Jesus and how much they trust Him. Amen? I love this. The Bible says in verse 24, there arose a a great storm on the sea. It's sudden. It just pops up. Boom. It wasn't there five minutes ago, and now it is. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level, and it is surrounded by very tall hills, and that means it's almost like in a wind tunnel. And so very quickly, the conditions can change on the water there. And before you realize it, you can be thrust into the middle of a storm. And it can just blow in all of a sudden. The Bible tells us this. Life is a lot like that, isn't it? Before you know it, something can change. We are all one phone call, one text message, one knock at the door from everything changing about our lives. Isn't that true? Life can turn on a dime. It can change in a moment irretrievably. It really can. 
verse 25 tells us that not only are they in a storm, but they are panicking, verse 25 says. Verse 26 says that when Jesus arises, he says to them, Why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Imagine the scene of that. But before Jesus rebuked the storm, he rebuked the Before he talked to the waves and the wind, he talked to his disciples. And before he told the wind to be quiet, he looked at the disciples and said, Why are you so afraid? Why are you panicking? Oh, you have little faith. Why are you freaking out like this? What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? He did that. If you're a child of God and a follower of Jesus and you're freaking out today, Jesus has a question for you. Why are you so afraid? Why are you in a panic today? What is driving the train? Nothing reveals the truth about our faith like a sudden storm. I don't know about you, but when I read the story of the disciples at face value, at first glance, you know what? I'm with the disciples on this one. Come on, Jesus. How can you expect them not to be afraid? These are veteran fishermen. These are seasoned sailors. This isn't their first day in a boat. They know what they're doing. And if the storm has them afraid, there's good reason to be afraid. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, weather didn't scare me because weather never scared my daddy. I lived the first 11 years of my life in a single wide mobile home, and we didn't leave it but about three times even for a tornado warning. Hear me? My daddy just wasn't scared of weather. But if my daddy ever said, get in the truck, I got in the truck in a hurry because it had to be really bad if it scared my daddy. I wasn't afraid because my daddy wasn't afraid, amen. I read into him, and and I just kind of played off of what what dad said. He was my barometer for how things ought to be going. But if daddy ever got afraid, I was afraid. And when I read these stories and I realize that these fishermen were afraid, that tells me this was a big deal. This wasn't just a little rocking of the boat. This was a great storm. It was massive. It was dangerous. I get nervous in the wave pool at the water park, amen. Amen. I want to wear a life jacket on the duck boat tours. I don't know why they hang them in the ceiling. I guess if the boat flips upside down, you'll be in the ceiling too, and that's where they need to be. I don't know. But I, I, I want mine on my person, right? I mean, I, just strap me in from the beginning, right? Me and the five-year-olds got our life jacket on. I'm scared. Uh-uh. No, no, not getting me out there without my life jacket on. Uh-uh. uh-uh. No, no. These guys were afraid. Luke's account says in Luke 8, 23, and the, and the boat was filling with water and they were in jeopardy. They were in jeopardy. They're in danger of going under. How in the world could Jesus expect them to do anything except panic and freak out? But clearly he did because his response to them is he's disappointed in them for panicking, right? Why are you so afraid, oh you of little faith? Uh, look at this. He, he really is disappointed that they respond the way they did. My question is why? On what basis did Jesus possibly expect them to do anything different? How did he expect them not to panic? Why didn't he expect them to go full panic mode and freak out on him in the storm? More importantly, if they didn't have to panic in the face of the storm, does that mean that I shouldn't panic in the face of my storms either? Weren't those good questions? The rabbinical method. See, I'm learning from Jesus today. I want to give you three reasons today why they should not have been afraid and why we don't have to be either. Now, I'm guarded because, like I said, I'm with the disciples. Lord, how could you expect them not to be afraid? Well, when you have a question like that, start reading around the passage. Don't just read the passage you're in. Read what happens before it and read what happens after it. Get some context for the passage. And so I'm not going to read it, but I want you to flip back in your Bible or scroll up on your phone, whichever you're using today for your Bible. Look back at the beginning of chapter 8, and I want you to walk through the first part of chapter 8 with me real quick. Just read the highlights. Just read the headings of the stories, and I think it'll become clear, number one, why Jesus expected them not to panic. The first reason is this. Jesus didn't expect them to be afraid because they knew the power of Jesus. And today we don't have to be afraid because we know the power of Jesus. Say that with me. We know the power of Jesus. How did they know the power of Jesus? They had seen it all day long. 
This chapter records one day in the life of the disciples. They're walking with Jesus. And if you notice, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching. He ends the sermon and he gets up and he begins to do what only Jesus can do. And they walk with him through this day. If you look in chapter 8, the Bible says he cleanses a leper with a touch and a word. He heals a centurion servant from a distance, a great distance away, simply by declaring him to be healed. The Bible says he touches people. Peter's mother-in-law and the fever is driven away and she gets up and serves them. In that moment he doesn't even say anything. He just touches her on the hand and healing enters her body and she is rescued from her infirmity. Jesus cast out demons and healed an entire multitude simply by speaking the word. Then Jesus gave the command, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? Because now all of a sudden you realize they've spent all day long watching Jesus work miracles. Their whole day has been spent watching Jesus come up against crisis after crisis, enemy after enemy, obstacle after obstacle, and Jesus has been able to overcome every obstacle that was put in front of him. Why should the storm be different? I'll tell you why the storm was different. Because they weren't the sick people getting healed. And they weren't the ones with the demons being delivered. They were watching Jesus do it for somebody else. But now all of a sudden, they're the ones in need of the deliverance. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to pray for somebody else? And how hard it is to believe God for yourself? Wow. The disciples were in that boat, literally. Here they are. They have watched God do it for everybody else, but now they have to know the power of Jesus for themselves. They have to prove in their own life that God's able to do what he promised. And that this doesn't just work for everybody else on my prayer list, but that it works for me that Jesus is able to deliver me. Sooner or later, every Christian will be thrust into a circumstance where he or she has to trust Jesus for themselves. We have to believe God to get us out of the crisis that we're in. Amen? We have to know the power of Jesus firsthand. All day long they witness His power. Pastor, you're being too hard on them. That's why they woke Jesus up. Because they believed that He had the power to save them. Not so fast. Even when they wake Jesus up, the Bible is pretty clear that they are not praying in faith. They're praying in fear. They wake him up in a panic, not in confidence. They wake him up because it's the last resort. They've been bailing water and it's doing no good. And now the only thing left to do is hope that Jesus can do something for them. Again, it sounds like Christians, doesn't it? We do everything and then we pray. (laughs) Yeah. We start out with everything else and we finally get to praying. Prayer is the last resort, not the first option for these disciples. But they finally decide it's gotten so bad we better pray about it, right? Yeah. One guy said, said I'm, it's time to pray about it. And the guy said, oh Lord, has it come to that? Yeah, it's come to that. It's time for them to pray and believe God. How could Jesus expect them to do different? They know his power. They've been with him all day. They've watched these things happen. But they wake him up, not in faith, but in fear. Mark 4.38 says, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Luke's version says, master, master, we are perishing. And notice what Jesus says in response to them. Oh, you of little faith, where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? So obviously from what they say and what Jesus answers back, this isn't faith in operation. This is fear on steroids, right? They are panicking in full-blown panic mode about their trial. Here they are. Pastor, you're being too hard on them. Maybe. I'm in the boat with them. I would be just like them. I'm not saying I'd do any better. I'm just saying this is why Jesus is disappointed in their response because they'd seen his power all day long and his hope was this had crept into their heart and their confidence in him had been built by what they had seen him do. God expects us to see what he's done for others and it build our faith so that when our storm comes, we don't panic. But we trust him. Why? Because we know what he's done for others and we know that he'll do it for us as well. That's what God expects us to do. That's also the benefit of reading the Bible. God expects us to read the stories of what he did for others in this book. And those stories are supposed to build our faith so that when we face a trial, we are able to stand on God's promises and believe him to do it in our lives. 
Amen. That's the purpose. That's why we come in here preaching. So that whenever we are faced with a trial, we have the confidence to get through it. Believe it or not, God really does expect us to learn from the past. Eventually, we should have seen enough of the power of God at work in our lives and other people's lives that we don't panic when a sudden storm arises. The disciples knew the power of Jesus, and so do we, and we don't have to be afraid because we know His power. Number two, not only did they know His power, but listen, they had His presence. We have the presence of Jesus. Say that with me. We have the presence of Jesus. And not only had they seen the power of Jesus, listen, Jesus is in the boat with them. He didn't send them without him. Now that happens at the end of the gospel in another story, right? When they should be able to handle it. But for the first time around, here he is. He's in the boat with them. Jesus is in the bow of the boat and he is going on the trip with them. Mark says, they took him along in the boat. Mark 4.36. Amen. I like that. Jesus is like American Express. Don't leave home without him. Amen. Keep him in the boat with you all the time. Wherever you go, take Jesus with you. Amen. Jesus is in the boat with us. Mark 4.38 says that when the storm arose, he was in the stern of the boat asleep on a pillow. I love that. Listen, Jesus didn't fall asleep. Jesus took a nap. There's a difference, okay? Some of you fall asleep on the ride home if somebody else is driving. But some of you this afternoon already have plans, right? You've got plans. You're not going to fall asleep. You're going to take a nap, right? It's different. It's premeditated. It's by design. Jesus didn't fall asleep. Jesus took a nap. He's in the stern of the boat on a pillow. You don't accidentally fall on a pillow. He's planning on going to sleep. He has it booked. He's preached Matthew 5 through 7. He's preached longer than I preach, and he's tired, and he's going to take a nap. And the boat is a great place to sleep, amen? And he gets on the boat. He fluffs his pillow. He finds a quiet corner, and he snuggles up, and he goes to sleep. He takes a nap. He is resting. I love that. He didn't accidentally fall asleep. He deliberately took a nap. He picked him a spot, fluffed his pillow, and passed out. Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus, amen? Take naps. Nothing wrong with a nap once in a while. Amen. Verse 23 and 24 says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there was a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Say that last line with me. But he was asleep. Have you ever felt like these disciples? Lord, following you is what got me into this mess. And now you are asleep. You're not even paying attention. It's like you're not even present with what's going on. You're not even noticing what's happening to me. The boat is taking on water and God's asleep. It's better to be in a wet storm with Jesus than on dry land without him, though, church. It's better to be in a wet storm with Jesus than on dry land without him. They were close enough to Jesus they could get his attention. Verse 25 says, they woke him up. They went and shook him awake. Master, wake up. We're taking on water. Master, don't you care that we perish? Amen. They woke him up. I want to tell you, some of you in the room today are here, and it's time to wake Jesus up. Some of you are here today, and it's time for you to wake up the Master. It's time for you to cry out to the Lord. It's time for you to get God's attention, to pray, to fast, to seek His face, to worship and press in until He arises and begins to move and operate in your situation. It's time for some of us to wake up the Lord. Amen. Some of us are way too quiet in our storm. We don't pray. There are people who always pray in a crisis. I know that. There are people the only time they pray is in a crisis. But you know what? There is a strange breed of cat that I've met. The opposite. They don't pray in a crisis. They don't. Whenever trouble comes, they withdraw from God. They stop talking to God. Maybe you're one of those people. Have you ever been through such a trial and such a storm that you didn't want to pray? You, maybe you felt so disappointed that God had even allowed the storm to come in your life that you didn't want to talk to God. You didn't want to go to church. You didn't want to read the book. You didn't want to be in His presence. So you just avoided all of that. I want to tell you, some of us, trials actually cause us to back away from God rather than drawing close to God. You can get hurt so bad that you leave the church and don't ever come back. You can get so disappointed in God that your faith gets shipwrecked and you lose out altogether. I've seen that happen with people. 
But can I tell you today, the right response to a storm, when things get tough, it's time to wake up Jesus. It's time to go to God in prayer. It's time to let him know what you're dealing with. It's time to cry out to God and get him to move on your behalf. Amen. He's al- the good thing about it is he's already in the boat. Amen. He's not far away. If you'll call on him in prayer, if you'll stir him up with your worship, he will rise and act on your behalf. As Mike Bolin wrote the great song, your cries have awoken the master. You can wake him up if you'll call on him today, amen? If I was a camp meeting preacher, I'd stomp my foot, drop my mic right there and say, it's time to wake up the master and let's have church. But I'm not an evangelist, I'm a pastor. So I want to remind you today that the way they woke the master up, though, got them in trouble. It got them rebuked, didn't it? Because they didn't wake him up in faith, they woke him up in panic. And Jesus was not pleased with the attitude. Wow, amazing to me. Waking him up in a panic got them rebuked. Let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with them waking up the master. You need to get Jesus involved. You need to wake him up. You need to cry out to him. You need to call on him when you're in trouble. He's already in the boat, and he'll hear you if you'll cry out to him. Waking Jesus up is not what got them rebuked. But after all the miracles they've seen that day, he expected them to wake him up in faith, not in fear. Instead of praying out of panic, they should have prayed instead of panic. That's what Jesus expected of them. They expected him to wake him up and say, Jesus, hey Jesus, man, we've seen you all day long. We've watched what you've done, and we know this is not going to be a big deal for you. But hey Jesus, we need you to wake up from your nap because you know what? You said we're supposed to go across the lake. There's obviously something trying to keep you from getting there. And we know that if you've dealt with all this other stuff today, you can deal with this too. This too. Hey Jesus, hey Jesus, how about you get up and help us? Jesus. Hey, Jesus, that was the attitude Jesus expected them to pray with. Let me ask you something. What do your prayers sound like? When you're in trouble, when you're in crisis, do you pray like that? Do you pray in faith? What kind of prayers? Now, listen, either one will wake him up. Thank God for that, amen? He'll wake up if you just cry out in panic. I'm so thankful God's not ticky about it. He'll hear you if you'll cry out to him. Because what they did is just full-blown, Oh, God! Well, that'll work. I mean, if you don't know anything else to pray, that'll work. It's better than nothing. Lord, save me. Lord, we're drowning. I mean, whatever works, right? Get his attention. Cry out to God. God will hear you. But can I tell you something? The prayers that delight the heart of God, the prayers that show we are growing in our Christian faith, are when we walk in like King Hezekiah did when he got a letter from Sennacherib that said, I will destroy your city, and there is not a God who is able to deliver you. And, and the Bible says Hezekiah took that letter, he walked in and he said, hmm. And he walked in and he said, God, you got mail. I'm going to leave that right there. Sleep him, And he woke up, there were 175,000 dead Assyrians on the ground. <laughs> That's how you pray, folks. God, I've got a problem. God, I've got a storm. God, I've got a crisis. I know how big the storm is, but I know how much bigger my God is. God, you got mail. You got mail. We'll leave it right there, Lord. Amen. I got a bill I can't pay. Lay it on the altar. Stick it in your Bible. They'll send you another one. Don't walk around looking at it. Don't get scared. Lay it before the Lord. Lord, here it is. You said that if I'd be faithful to you, you'd be faithful to me. You'd supply all of my need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Some of you need to lay the bill on the altar. Some of you need to lay the x-ray on the altar. Some of you need to lay the medical report on the altar. Some of you need to lay the papers that you were filed suit with on the altar and say, God, you got mail. I belong to you. Your name's on the line as much as mine. I've lived for you. I've served you. I'm going to trust you. I need you to wake up and move on my behalf. And I know that you're able to do it. I know that you will. Faith. Don't pray in panic. Pray instead of panic. Don't pray in fear. Pray in faith. Amen. They knew the power of Jesus. They had the presence of Jesus. And all they had to do was nudge him and say, Jesus, hey, you got this? You take this for me? This is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. Come here. Yeah. Yes. Lord, help us. Oh, what a comfort. They should have known there was no way that boat was going down because the Son of God was in that boat. And I want to tell you, your boat's not going down because Jesus is in the boat with you. 
What a confidence that is. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name and your mind. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither will the flame kindle upon you because I am the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Why can the river not drown me? Why can the fire not burn me? Because I am with you. God is with me. It can't burn me the same reason it couldn't burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There weren't three men in the fire. There were four men in the fire. There weren't 12 men in the boat. There were 13 men in the boat. And one of them was the Son of God. Hallelujah. Thank God Jesus is in the boat today. Amen. And the boat's not going down. We know His power. We have His presence. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will uphold you. I will help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 46 and 10, We will not fear. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our refuge. Hebrews 13 and 5, He himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. The with us God. He's with us. We have His presence. We know His power. But let me give you a third reason before we go eat fried chicken today. We are in His purpose. This is important. Don't miss this one. We are in His purpose. Say it with me. We are in His purpose. We're in the purpose of Jesus. And it matters that we're living our lives in the purpose of Jesus. The third reason there is no way that ship was going to go down in the middle of the Sea of Galilee was this. They had an assignment on the other side of the water. Jesus had a mission to accomplish. Jesus had a job to do and they were going to be with him and there's no way that boat was going down. God had a purpose in that storm. Listen, we're in the, we know the power, we are in the presence and we live in the purpose of Jesus. Amen? Jesus had already said, let us cross over. Say let us. Us means him plus them. Everybody was going to make it. Us. Let us cross over. Jesus didn't say, let me cross over, and if y'all make it, you make it, and if you don't, you don't. No, no, Jesus didn't say that. He said, let us cross over. I'm thankful that he's not just going to go without me. He's with him, amen? He's going to finish what he started in my life. I love that. For the last 12 hours, every word out of the mouth of Jesus had come to pass. Everything he spoken had happened. He told demons to go and they went. He told sickness to heal and it vanished. He called the leper clean and his skin cleared up. So when Jesus said, we are going to the other side, he meant all of us are going to the other side. Amen. They had the assurance of that. I am so glad today Jesus is able to finish what he started in my life. Aren't you? He has a purpose in redeeming me. He saved me so that he could make me like his son and so he could use my life for his glory. And God's not done with me yet, so the current storm is not going to take me out. Amen. God's not done with you yet. So however fearful the current trial you're facing is, just know it's temporary. It's temporary. That's the great thing about storms. They come and they go. Say they go. They go, and the storm you're in now will go. It'll go. Amen. The storm is temporary. It won't last. It will go. Amen. Cindy and Rachel, you hear me? It will go. It's temporary. It comes, and it's going to go. It doesn't stay. We don't have to live in the fear that this is the new normal. No, it isn't. It, it, it may be hurricane force, but it's gone by Tuesday. Amen. Jesus assures us he's got a purpose. And until that purpose is done, we're not done. They are in the purpose of Jesus. They have an assignment to accomplish. And until they accomplish it, no matter how hard the enemy fights, the boat isn't going down. You can be assured of that. I'm so thankful for that. Jesus never looks at me and says, you know what, you're just too much work. No. Jesus can finish what he started in my life. I'm thankful for that. So grateful for that. He knew I was a mess when he found me, but he still says to me that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. Paul said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He's that...
doesn't ever have to abandon a project. Jesus doesn't ever have to walk away from somebody because they're too difficult a case. Jesus doesn't ever have to leave somebody half saved or half finished. Amen? He's able to do what he said and what he set out to do in our lives. Amen? Notice a couple principles. Being in the will of God does not exempt us from the storm. Being in the will of God does not exempt us from the storm. Being in the will of God does guarantee we will survive the storm. We will make it through the storm. Paul stood up in the northeastern storm that faced his boat that day. And he said, an angel of my the Lord stood by me this night. And God promised me the life of every man on the ship. He said, whatever you do, just stay on the ship. Because God promised me everybody on the ship. Amen. The Bible says that the storm hit and the ship broke up. And some of them floated in on pieces of the ship. You didn't even have to have the whole ship. You just had to get hold of a piece of the ship. Isn't that good? God's promise is so strong. Even if the ship breaks up, just grab hold of a piece of it. Amen. It'll get you in. God's promise is tied to every piece piece of that boat. The church is the ship and the church is going to make it home and I'm going to stay in the church. Amen. Amen. I'm as churchy as Noah was Arky. And the only thing worse than the stink on the boat sometimes is the water outside the boat. Amen. But stay in the boat because the boat's going to make it. Glory to God. God's able to finish what he started. Lord help us today. Being in the will of God promises my survival and guarantees my arrival. You may get wet but you will get there. Being in God's purpose ensures a safe landing, not a dry journey. That's tweetable right there, yes. Lord, help us. Being in the will of God in guarantees a safe landing, not a dry journey. You may get wet, but you can get home wet, amen, and be okay. Are you living within the purpose of God for your life? That matters because God's promises are tied to His purposes. God has promised that as long as I'm doing what he's called me to do, he'll be with me and his promises will work and his power will avail for me. Now, I can't just claim those promises if I'm going doing my own thing. You hear me? I can't just go off on my own way and claim those promises. Those promises are conditional. They are tied to the purposes of God. What do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. Everybody quotes Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world. Oh, that's glorious. Except it only applies to the people who were doing verse 19. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And as you go and do that... Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God's not with me if I'm just at home doing my own thing. God's not with me if I'm not engaged in the purpose of God. God's not with me if I'm not walking in His will. He's not with me in the sense that He's guaranteed His authority and His power and His promises to work in my life. And say you weren't saved, but I'm saying you don't have the same claim on the promises of God as someone does that's trying to live out the purpose and the plan of God for their life. God will do amazing things for us when we're walking in His purpose. Why? Because in order for His job to get done, we've got to make it. He's tied it together in that man. Love it. You see, one of the reasons, one of the reasons there was never any doubt that Jesus and the disciples are going to make it across the sea that afternoon was because Jesus had a mission. There were two demon-possessed men across the lake in the area of the Gergesenes. And they were hiding in the caves and they, wanted, they needed to be delivered. And Jesus was going to show up that day and he was going to speak a word that set them free and delivered them. And not only were the Jews going to know that he was a Savior, but all of a sudden the Gentiles were going to find out that he was a Savior and that salvation wasn't just for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles and that Jesus didn't just have authority in Israel, he had authority everywhere he stepped the sole of his foot. He wasn't just the God of Israel. He was the God of the whole planet. And everywhere Jesus stood, demons had to bow and miracles happened. And they were about to see the authority and the power of Jesus. He was going to make it. Jesus wanted to demonstrate this. His gospel was not just for the few. It was for the many. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. There's a thorny question in the passage that never gets answered. Who caused the storm? Where did the storm come from? The Bible doesn't say. And because the Bible doesn't say, we can't know for sure. If the Bible is silent, the preacher would do well to be silent too. 
There's a lot of theology written out of what the Bible doesn't say. You can't argue anything from silence. Listen to me. You can't build a doctrine on what the Bible doesn't say. You've got to build teaching on what the Bible does say. But let me tell you what I do know from the silence here. The fact that the Bible doesn't tell us who caused the storm means it doesn't matter who caused the storm. Now, there are three possibilities here. Some people believe that maybe God sent the storm to give Jesus an opportunity to demonstrate who he really was. Some people believe the devil sent the storm to keep Jesus from getting to the two Gergesene demoniacs who needed to be delivered. And the enemy doesn't want Jesus coming over there. So he sends a storm to keep them from showing up. Some believe that these storms happened all the time on the Lake of Galilee. And it was just a normal, natural occurrence that happened to pop up on that day. And it was just good old-fashioned bad luck. The Bible doesn't say which one it was, so I don't think we can say definitively which one it was. You can have an opinion about it, but that's all any man can have about it is an opinion because the Bible doesn't say for certain. But the good thing about it is this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Either way, you're in the storm now and we have to face what is, not what we wish was. If you're in a storm today, you've got to face it. It's upon you. But the good news is this. It doesn't matter who caused it. Jesus is able to fix it. It doesn't matter if, if this is an engineered opportunity for you to strengthen and grow your faith. It doesn't matter if the enemy's risen up against you and you're fighting the devil. It doesn't matter if this is just life going on, as my daddy used to say, and this just kind of happened out of nowhere. It doesn't matter if that's the case. Let me go a little step further. It to some degree, if you're in the storm because you caused it by your own actions. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is in the boat with you today. You know his power. You have his presence. And if you will align your life with his purpose, he is able to rescue you from whatever you're facing today. That's good news. That is good news. He's able to step in and God will work for you today. I'm closing with this. Either way, you're in it now and God's able to help you. Has your life hit rough water? Are the waves of difficulty crashing over the bow of your boat today? Are you taking on water? Do you feel just like you're about to be overwhelmed by circumstances? Like God is out to lunch or he's asleep in the bow of the boat? He's not paying attention? Can I challenge you today? Remember his power. Remember his power. Don't let the present cause you to forget the past. Remember this. God, you have survived 100% of the bad days you've ever been through. Did you hear me? You have made it through 100% of your bad days up to this point. Yeah. You've made it. Amen. The old, we used to sing it. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. Amen. How do you know? Because uh, we've been here before and he's done it. He's taken care of it. We're like David today. How do you know God will help you defeat Goliath? Because he helped me kill the lion and he helped me kill the bear. And this Philistine won't be any different. Look back in your past. Look in your own story. Look in your own history and you will see God has always kept you through. God's not about to let you down now. God's not about to blow his perfect reputation on somebody as small as me. He's not about to. He can be trusted to do what he said he's going to do. We can trust him today. Remember his power. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Remember your story. Remember the faithfulness of God. Number two, rest in his presence. Say rest. Don't panic in fear. Pray in faith. It's time to wake up the master. Come to the altar. Let somebody grab you by the hands. He will hear your faintest cry. Your prayer doesn't have to be fancy or theologically correct. It can just be, Lord, save me. I'm about to go under. And God will hear you and he will answer you. But can I tell you today, after the sermon, God would rather you say is, Lord, you've got mail. <laughs> Lord, I've come down here because I'm absolutely confident that you're able and willing to move in my circumstances. And I'm believing you big today to do something for me and to turn things around. Number three, remain in His purpose. God is not finished with your life. If God was finished with your life, He'd let you go home. If you're not home yet, He's not done yet. Did you hear me? If you're not home yet, He's not done yet. I told my kids last night, we went and watched a great little movie little that's uh, out now, and I always love taking my kids to see epic movies where there's the good guys and the bad guys and you know the good guys always win and at one point the movie got a little scary for them and I leaned over and I told Abigail I said Abigail the good guys always win in the end and I said and if the good guys aren't winning it isn't the end the good guys always win in the end and if the good guys aren't winning then it's not the end pastor I'm not on top right now then it's not over well, I'm not experiencing victory right now. Then he's not done yet. 
ride out the storm. Stay in the boat. Strap yourself in for the ride. But when it's all said and done, you are going to come out on the other side. Do not be afraid. Do not give in to fear. Remember His power. Rest in His presence. Remain in His purpose. God's able to finish what He started. He's not done yet. George Whitfield, that great awakening preacher who shook New England with his message, once said this, We are immortal until our work on earth is done. We are immortal until our work on earth is done. That's what Paul believed. Doesn't matter how many times you put him in jail, how many times you beat him, and how many times he was shipwrecked in the sea, even bit by a viper and he just wouldn't die. Why? He was immortal because God wasn't finished with his life yet. Oh, that we would relax in the sovereignty of God. Stay in the boat with Jesus. You may make it home wet, but you'll make it. My final question for you today is this. Is Jesus in your boat? Is Jesus in your boat? Chad, come help me today. Everything that I preach today is good news if Jesus is in your boat. But the problem today is this. If you're not a Christian... If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, if you're just out there paddling around on your own, then you're facing the storms on your own. Jesus isn't in every boat. He's in the boat with those who follow him. Read the story. Jesus put them in that boat, and Jesus got in the boat with them, and they were in the will of God, and they were in that boat because they were following Jesus. Is Jesus in your boat today? Have you trusted Christ? Are you following him? If not, then I want to tell you the smartest thing that you should do today is you need to get Jesus in your boat. You need to come today and surrender your life to Christ. You need to come and invite God to get in the boat with you. You can't face life alone and make it. Oh, pastor, religion is just for the weak. The weak. That's spoken like somebody who hadn't been through the right storm yet. You let the right wave come over your bow of your boat and hit you upside the head and you'll see how weak you are. I want to tell you something. Sooner or later, there's a storm that'll get your attention. And you'll realize in that moment how deeply you need the Lord. But I want to tell you, smart, wise people are the ones who don't ever get in the boat without Jesus to begin with. You can have Jesus in your life today. You can bring Him on board with you. Have you done that? If not, you can. Pastor, how do I do that? It's simple. You invite him. You invite him. He's a gentleman. You invite him. Jesus, what do you do? You believe in him. Number one, Lord, I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you have all power. I believe all those stories that Pastor preached about you are true. I believe you are the son of God. And that you have all authority. You can fix anything and you can overcome any battle. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross and beat my sin. I believe you went to the tomb and beat my death. I believe you rose from the dead and conquered hell for me. I believe you are who the book says you are. And Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin and living my own way and doing my own thing. And I ask you to forgive me of that. And Lord, I'm asking you to come get in my boat and you be the captain. You tell me where we're going. You chart the course and I will follow you from today forward. Jesus, be captain of my vessel. Come into my life. Be the commander. Be the Lord be the master. Invite him to do that. The Bible says that if you'll do that, if you'll believe on Jesus and you'll confess him as Lord, that you'll be saved today. He'll rescue you. He'll come get in the boat with you. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. Hours upon us today. I'm going to pray. I want to open the altar for two people today. Number one, if you're here and Jesus is not in the boat with you, it's time. It's time to invite Jesus to come get in your boat. It's time to become a Christian. It's time to trust Christ as Savior. Number two, maybe you're here and you're facing a great storm in your life. You're facing a great trial. You're facing great trouble today. And you just need somebody to grab hands with you and help you wake up the Master. You need somebody to cry out with you in faith and believe God to step in and rescue and intervene. Maybe that's you today. I challenge you to come and bring it to the altar. Come and lay it before the Lord. Come and tell Jesus, this is, this is at your feet. I trust you. I need you to move for me. Somebody would love to agree with you in prayer this morning.
whatever the need is. Do you need the peace speaker to show up today? Can I tell you today, even if you're in the middle of your storm, even if the waves don't stop at first, he's going to speak to you before he speaks to the wind and the waves. I know you're going to make it through the storm, and I know he can stop the pounding. But I know what else he can do in the meantime. In the meantime, he can speak peace to you. He can speak peace to your heart. You don't have to leave here today ripped apart by anxiety. You don't have to leave here today driven by fear. You don't have to leave here today with your palms sweating. You don't have to leave here today anxious and worried about whatever it is that you're facing. The Bible says be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when you do that, what happens? Well, answers. But even before the answer comes, you know what else he does? The next verse says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He need you to calm the storm. Well, he can do that. But first you need him to calm you down. You need him to speak to you before he speaks to the waves. And some of you are here today, and God doesn't want to speak to the storm yet. He wants to speak to you first. And he wants to say to you, why are you so afraid? When are you going to put all your weight down on me and trust me? When are you going to rest in my presence? When are you going to remember my power? When are you just going to stay in the boat of my purpose and realize that you may be wet, but you're not going under? You can trust Jesus today. Are you there? The altar's open. Let's pray. Father, I've done my best to be true to the passage, to be true to the text, to preach the Word of God, not my own. Lord, I pray today that you would do what I'm unable to do, Jesus. You're able to take this Word and apply it to the hearts of your people. You're able today to call us out by the preaching of the Word. You're able to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you're able to take one message and make it 300 messages in this room and apply it to our hearts and minds. Lord, whatever your people need today, I pray that they hear your voice behind my voice. I pray that they hear the voice of God through the Word. Not the voice of their pastor, but the voice of Jesus saying, Why are you so afraid? Remember my power. Remain in my purpose. Rest in my presence. I've got you and I've got this. It's okay. Lord, this morning, I pray that as your people come and pray, as they come and reach out, as they come and reach up, as they come and lay hold of you, that today would be the day that you meet them today. You speak peace to them. And Lord, they find you working on their behalf. Lord, let somebody wake up the master today by their prayer. Let somebody lay hold of you in faith today and watch you do what only you can do. Lord, today, let somebody let you into their boat for the very first time today. I pray for it all in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. As Chad leads us and as we sing, if you need to come and pray, would you come? If you'd like to pray with someone who's come, would you come? The altar's open. Let's worship Him today for the next couple minutes. Let's pray for Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.